Small Biz Stories is brought to you by Constant Contact. Constant Contact is committed to helping small businesses and nonprofits connect with new and existing customers with email marketing. You can be a marketer. All it takes is Constant Contact. Find out more at constantcontact.com. As with any business, if you're not morphing and changing and growing, you don't have to be growing huge, but growing, you're slowly dying. You've got to be, everything's in change all the time. And so we try to look at what we can do better or what we should add yeah. or what might make the place more attractive to people. Yeah. Um, even just as sim- something as simple as what variety of mix we need to change and, and what type of trees we want to have for the future. People have the idea of a, a big old apple tree, but that isn't really the future of apples. It, it's smaller, much smaller trees is the future of apples. Yeah. But also we don't want to change that too fast because people have this idea in their head of what an apple tree should be when you come to pick apples. Andrew Martin is a third generation farmer at Honeypot Hill Orchards in Stowe, Massachusetts. If you live in New England, you know how satisfying it is to taste the first apple cider donut of the season. Stuff a bag full of fresh apples and find new ways to eat those apples for weeks to come. Our trip to Honeypot Hill came with the added benefit of speaking with business owners Andrew and his daughter Chelsea. Sitting outside, listening to enthusiastic children and cicadas, yep, those annoying bugs you just heard in the opening quote, Andrew and Chelsea shared the rich history of their farm and how they plan to keep the business going for generations to come. Today, they share what it's like to be part of a family business, how to deal with things that are out of your control, and their best management advice. More than 50% of small businesses fail within the first five years. These are the stories of those who beat the odds. My name is Dave Charest, and I'll be your host as we share the stories of some of the bravest people you'll ever meet small business owners. You'll hear how they got started, their biggest challenges, and their dreams for the future. Andrew's grandfather bought the family farm in 1926 after moving to Boston from New York. Initially a smaller, general-purpose farm, Andrew and his relatives worked to make the farm both larger and more specialized. Growing up on the farm, Andrew's lifelong devotion to agriculture started at a young age. I think I was born to farm. <laughs> and I, honestly, ever since I was six years old, I started growing my first gourds and, and I grew some potatoes and I planted blueberries that we didn't think we didn't have on the farm. And then I started pumpkins by the time I was like 12, to squash and pumpkins, 12 were in my own little part of the business, as well as working on the farm itself. Yeah. And I just, I just loved it. I was, every time I could, I worked. And it was it's summers, after school, weekends. And I, Never had any thought in my life that I was going to do anything different, really. Yeah. And uh, I went to college for it and got my associates in agriculture. Okay. And uh, I've been here full-time for the last 35 years since then. Transitioning from a kid on the farm to the manager of a successful family business is not an easy task. Both Andrew and Chelsea are familiar with the unavoidable challenges that come from working with your closest family members. Well, family businesses can have challenges, <laughs> shall we say. Yeah, that's a, yeah. <laughs> and in one hand, when I came back to the farm, my dad said, you're in charge, here you go. But then after a little while, it really wasn't quite that way. As long as it was his way, I was in charge, if you yeah. know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's hard working with your family. I mean, we do okay. So far, so good. It's only been a year, that's but right. um, I wasn't quite like him. I didn't plant pumpkins when I was growing up, but... I always wanted to be like my dad. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's always like I we grew up here in the four of us. I have three younger siblings. It just like the priorities were always like farm first. Sure. And it never 
bothered us. I feel like when it goes that way, you either end up hating it and resenting it or you end up adopting that mindset. And all four of us sort of have that way. I remember one Christmas. We weren't allowed to open our presents until like noon because dad was working and we were like nuts because <laughs> we were 10 and um i it's yeah it's been challenging with family but it it's hard to like not love it i people come here and they come back and like they bring their grandkids and they bring their nieces and they bring their cousins and they just rave about it and it's yeah. so hard to not love something that's so ha- like makes people so happy so it's, it's, I think it's easier than most businesses to, to deal with like that one hard customer because you have most people that come through here that are just like so happy to be here and like away from the city and it's so beautiful and I don't know, it's, it's a nice place. While family dynamics don't come without challenges, both Chelsea and Andrew would agree that family ties are the most rewarding aspects of their business. There are, however, a few challenges they find less fulfilling. The weather. And I mean, this year, has oh, every, yeah. every year is a challenge, but this year, literally nine feet of snow last winter in about three weeks. And we do work in the wintertime. A lot of people think, oh, you just take the winter off in we farming. Don't. You go south. <laughs> every tree has to be pruned. We have 14,000 trees. Yeah. Actually, we have 24,000 if you yeah. include all the smaller ones. Yeah. And everyone takes a little bit of attention. And it, yeah. you know, so there's the snow, and then, you know, we... Most oh, people we, don't do this anymore. Right, he likes right. to. Do, we do everything by hand. Yeah. So we're we're pretty we're hands on hands yeah. on managers, so to speak. Own managers, yeah. owners, hands on. Yeah, yeah. Um, Why? But I love doing it. Really. Okay. I, I mean, one of the things about our business, I will say, is that we're small enough, yeah. even though we're pretty good size, that I can still do a lot of the hands on work. Okay. But we're big enough so we can justify hiring enough employees. So I, because I can't do everything, and she can't do. I never wanted to be a manager. Yeah. I mean, I like it, but it's just. We got into it because we like the work, yeah. which is kind of frustrating when you when you find yourself not having the time to do oh, yeah. it. Um, <laughs> yeah. He gets so upset yeah. when he's bogged down with paperwork. I do all the paperwork because if he has to do it, it's just a lot of grumbling the whole time. But going back to the weather just for a second to finish yeah, that, because sure. yeah, yeah, I'm going to lost. Then we had one of the best looking crops we've ever had yeah. this year, and then we had a hailstorm. Uh, April, I mean, yeah, August 4th, which yeah. put a bunch of nicks and dents in them. It didn't ruin them, but they're just not the way we want them to look. And now we still got, they seem like we're here to fall in the fall, and we still got summer weather, which doesn't exactly inspire people to come apple picking and doesn't do anything good for the apples. Put on my sweater either. today. So it's, you know, today's great, but every other day has been, <laughs> as you know. So, but you're always, I mean, that's the whole story of agriculture. You're dealing with the weather. Something wrong. It's only it's throwing a curve at you. And you just do the best you can to deal with it. While Andrew and Chelsea will never be able to tame the New England weather, Chelsea focuses her energy on the parts of her job she can control. After becoming the store manager last year, she's worked hard to get up to speed with legal requirements and management responsibilities that keep the business running smoothly. I went to school for horticulture, okay. and I took some business classes and some science classes and thought it was cheating going to school for agriculture growing up here. I was like, but I already know all of that, which is so not true. But... Um, <laughs> Coming back here, because my aunt did this job for 25 years before I took over last year, and um, I had I worked here for years, so I've done a lot of different jobs, but was totally unprepared last year because no one tells you when you're in college like, oh, if you want to like run or own or work for a small business, like you need to have this many permits like you have to be because like we were talking about like we're managers that are really hands-on but we kind of like split responsibility and both of like there's two of us 
So he does like a lot of the orchard work and um, we have migrant workers. So he handles like part of that paperwork. But then like the other half of it is like permitting, staffing, like making sure that we don't get shut down. Like just making sure that everything's in order. And I had no idea. It was, I remember last year in May, I was in the office sifting through paperwork being like, I don't know what any of these forms are for. No one sits you down and is like, here's how to pay taxes. Like, here's how to make sure that you have all, like, you're up to health code and you make sure that everyone gets paid on time and here's how to do payroll. So it was a huge learning curve of just learning how to deal with everything. Um, and no one, occasionally someone cuts you a break, but it's one of those things where if you're in the role of running a business, you're expected to know more than everybody else. Even with each other to turn to, Andrew and Chelsea know they'll never be experts on everything. Relying on their employees and valuing feedback has helped the Orchard staff feel like they're part of the Honeypot family as well. We're lucky. We have, we've had a lot of people come back and um, we have a lot of people that have been working here for a while that take a lot of responsibility off of our plates, my plate. Um, we have like 14 hayride drivers on the weekends and then we have Sean, who's in the store right now, who does a lot of the staffing for that. He comes in every Wednesday and we talk about it. Um, luckily, like we have... We have some really responsible, awesome people with like weird talents. Like you would never, like our ATM went down yesterday and our office manager knew a guy that she worked with that was in tech and he came in and fixed the ATM. And it's just like you, small businesses, like a lot of its connections, like who do you know that can help you fix something? Because I don't know anything about wiring. I got yelled at by one of our, one of our staff is an electrician. He was like, that's not the same as telecom. Like, these are completely different things. I can't fix your ATM. And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't know. <laughs> so. Well, that is one of the challenges of a, of a small business because business, you don't have specialists to, to do this department. You can't department afford them. Department. They're exactly. so expensive. So you tend to try to be a jack of all trades, master <laughs> of none, as they say. And, sure. and then you try to pull in people. And we have a few, a couple of guys that work in the orchards that are pretty good mechanics that yeah. do things for me on that regard, that end of it. And you try to look to people's strengths and utilize them as much as you can. Yeah. And then we try to do everything else we can. Of course, the funny thing is, is that, you know, I'm not a computer person at all, and, and this is the advantage when you get into a bigger he company. He text. I'm, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not a tech, period. But when you get into a bigger company, again, this person specializes in that and the other, and then another person that. Yeah. She's much better at that stuff than I am. So you know, somebody told me, why try to do something that you're not good at? <laughs> and I guess some of the other things that I can do that I'm pretty good at. Yeah. Uh, you know, why struggle with this? And yeah. she picks that up, and a couple other people pick it up, and, right. and then yeah. we go from there. One thing they've tried to pick up in recent years is an updated marketing strategy. While Andrew remembers the days of sending out postcards to thousands of contacts, he and Chelsea are now moving a lot of their marketing online. We're trying to do more of a mix this year. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, my family has never really been on the forefront of technology, but we're doing okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we, I mean, we have a Facebook page. We're trying trying so hard to update it all the time and answer questions and part of the issue is that like I do that so I try to update it all the time but it's I don't have a person for that Mm -hmm. Um, I do have a person for the email blasts because she 
my best friend in college majored in marketing and okay, she's great, yeah. much better at that than I am. Yeah. So she designs all of our emails and she does the outings here. Um, but we're doing the emails, Facebook, TV advertising, advertising through Google, um, like AdWords, mm -hmm. um, and trying to do a shift more toward the digital because we were newspapers for a really long time. And alas, we still do a little bit of newspapers. And we still. still do a little bit. We were with the Boston Globe. I mean, I love hearing where people see us. I yeah. ask people all the time. We had yeah. people from Taunton in yesterday. And I was like, how did you make it out here? That is so yeah. far away. Yeah. They're like, we we're on Yelp. Mm. And we're like, the, the only thing we saw that was wrong with you is that you were really busy. So we came at 830 in the morning and it's great. There's no one here. And I was like, we came on a weekday. Yeah, there's no one here. You guys are fine. But with all constantly looking for feedback on, and I actually, I had a couple of regular customers yeah. that were like, we really appreciate the Facebooks and the emails. Yeah. Like we check them. We like to know like what you have available because yeah. our varieties are changing constantly. Like yeah. what we have available, we sell out of things. We can't restock here. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, let's just send out for some more nectarines. Like mm. it just doesn't happen. So we try to update because certain people just swear by certain varieties, certain things, and they won't eat anything else. So, I mean, we've gone out and picked a variety for somebody who came an hour away, and they're like, what do you mean you don't have any more Zestar? It's like, somebody help me. We need to pick a box of Zestar. This woman drove from an hour away. So, yeah, it's, it's all about informing people, mm -hmm. and the people that really care, mm -hmm. check all of our different media to yeah. see exactly what we have available. I mean, that is one of the great things about technology, I will say. And yeah. that, because back when I was her age, we had a mailing list of, of excess of 5,000. Yeah. But it was a matter of labeling and, and doing postcards and, yeah. and going to the post office. And, yeah. you know, it cost a lot of They literally sent out postcards. It cost a lot of money, and it, it, it wasn't that timely. It took several days to get there, and but you had to print them in the whole nine yards. Now it's like bing, bang, boom, and it's gone. And it doesn't really cost you much. It costs a contact, yeah. I guess. But it, it's you know, relatively nothing compared to what it used to be. The timeliness of email is one of the biggest benefits for a business that changes its offerings depending on the weather. Chelsea updates her mailing list regularly with what they have available at the store. With a growing list of 5,000 contacts, she recently realized how engaged her subscribers are and how important it is to double-check the accuracy of the information she's sending out. We don't really send too many emails. I mean, once a week when we're open just to update with um, varieties and what we have available isn't overwhelming so I think people tend to trust us with that yeah. uh, we explain it to them like oh we don't send you like one a day it's usually just once a week and it's like an update I, of what we've got I think if you overdo it people just start to ignore them just yeah, just, yeah. Just, just forget just it write them off yeah, yeah. yeah. so do you find people coming in based on, on getting those emails yeah especially those yeah actually we've had I had a guy who was angry because we messed up uh -oh. we, <laughs> we put ginger golds down the day before they came in and he came in, he's like, where are your ginger golds? And I was like, oh, no, they're coming in tomorrow. And he's like, well, your email said you have ginger golds. And I was like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. Put in the wrong date. Uh -oh. So, yeah, they do read them. I know they do. Staying in touch with existing customers is especially important for a business that is so seasonal. With less than two months of peak business, Andrew and Chelsea know they have to deliver a great product and experience so their customers will be back next year. We have really consistently good fruit most of the time. I mean, he does a really good job growing it. And I don't think I realized when I came back, like how important that is and how difficult that is because we were visiting an orchard and they had no peach crop because they got 
frozen out and peaches are really delicate and susceptible to frost and even with the hail we have beautiful fruit and it's just it's very difficult to find because I think people have kind of started to distrust agriculture. Mm -hmm. People ask me all the time, like, do you grow this? Do you grow that? And I'm constantly saying, yes, we grow everything that we sell. All the produce is ours, even the vegetables. The only thing that's not is the corn, which is Mm -hmm. picked fresh daily from Acton. And I think that having that relationship and being able to explain to people like what we spray, why we spray, like what we do Mm -hmm. and having consistently good fruit that's ours I think people appreciate that because, I mean, we're a family and we've been here a long time and we continue to try and be very knowledgeable about what we're selling. Um, So we just try to have a good relationship with our customers and answer their questions the best that we can. But I think it's becoming more and more rare to find a place that grows everything and is honest about it. And um, I don't know. I get... I, I'm a big plant nerd, so I like answering the questions, but <laughs> I we've gotten a lot of comments lately on our fruit being consistently good. Yeah. I think that's important. With the business, you try to watch the details. you got to look at the big picture. It's an interesting thing. When you're working for somebody else, you, you can get bogged down in details because it doesn't matter so much unless the boss starts yelling at you, hurry up. Yeah. When you're working for yourself you got to look at the big picture you can't say you got to say i can't spend too much time on this thing mm-hmm. but also details matter right. so you're always doing that balancing along the way of, of looking at the big picture but then the details mm-hmm. and because de- little details adding up can make a big difference in the end and that that's where i guess she says i'm a perfectionist no I, yeah i mean it's really there's so many moving factors and growing fruit in New England because our weather is like hot and cold and the bacteria can count can go from zero to several million in a day. So, I mean, we try really hard to monitor the weather, but like every time, everyone makes mistakes, but he beats himself up about it every time he makes a mistake, really hard. And I've, I guess probably because I'm his kid and I've watched it happen, I like try to roll with it a little bit more. <laughs> so we balance each other out that way too. But um, I have always, he is always looking for the perfect crop, like trying and pushing for the perfect crop. And then, I, then I'm going to retire. <laughs> <laughs> Probably never happen. Many of the business owners we've interviewed this season have had a similar dedication to their craft. Each owner has made sacrifices in the pursuit of creating something bigger than themselves. As a fourth-generation farmer, Chelsea's devotion to the farm is part of her identity, something that has been ingrained in her since childhood. I don't know. I always feel like I'm <clears throat> like the balance in my family. I don't want to force my siblings to come back here. I sure. think that they should have the option. Um, I had a little bit more pressure because my aunt wanted to leave, yeah. um, but I would do anything to keep this place from being sold. I mean, the, it's interesting because someone posed this question to me, like, what What are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? And they were like, you're working like 100 hours a week and you could sell the 200 acres and never work again. And I was like, oh, you shouldn't have, that was... Yeah, don't think about it that way. <laughs> and it's it's crazy. It's literally crazy. Like, who would do that? Like, oh, you own 
I don't own anything, but like you own 200 acres of prime real estate. Why are you killing yourself to keep a business going when you could sell it and you wouldn't have to worry about it? And you have to find, I have to, hopefully one of my siblings will think that way too, that it's bigger than you. And um, I think that's one of the hardest things about working here is I love this place more than I love myself. And I know he feels the same way. So how do you, I mean, I'm 23. If I ever end up wanting to get married, they have to move to Stowe and hang out on a farm forever, which is like not a bad deal. But at the same time, how do you have a life? Finding balance isn't always easy, but it's clear that for Andrew and Chelsea, that's part of the excitement. Long hours and early mornings aren't as much a hardship when you're proud of what you're able to create. I'll leave you with Andrew's best piece of business advice and how Chelsea knows the sacrifices are all worth it. It certainly isn't just a job. It really is an adventure because it, the hours get crazy sometimes. Your weekends are not your own anymore. Um, you know, I say very few people go into this business that didn't grow up in it, quite frankly. There's a handful, but not very many. Because if you've owned your own weekends and you've owned several weeks off, you say, what am I doing to come into this business? <laughs> Why would I get that? Why, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but we were also talking about one of your questions, I think, was... Uh, what do you have to say to a person getting into business mm -hmm. in this own small business? Mm -hmm. And my suggest, my advice would be, make sure you love it before. Whether you have to deal with people, if you love dealing with people, or if you're making something, love what you're making. Because if you don't love it, it probably won't work. Because you got to put so much effort into that to get through all the obstacles that get thrown at you, whatever way it might be. In our case, it's weather and government, as I keep saying. Yeah. But you, to get through all those, and if you don't love it, it's just not going to make it. In my opinion. I, I think that I waited out in my head when I was thinking about coming back here if I would be happier leaving mm -hmm. or happier staying. And like either way you give up something. Right. Like if you, I didn't expect to come back so young. I was thinking like I would go off somewhere. And I mean, I lived in Australia for six months in college. So it's, it's not like I'd never left. I've been very lucky, um, but you know, Stowe is just so, such a rockin' nightlife. There's so much to do when you're 23. Um, so that's been a little difficult. Yeah. It's it's hard being here when all of my friends have moved to major cities yeah. and are kind of starting their own thing. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll actually vouch for that, too. I remember those days. Yes. Long ago, yeah. far away, but yeah. it's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have, like, kind of a weird family here. Like, we have my family and then, like, we had a employee party at the end of last year and I cried and I was like, you guys are my only friends because <laughs> I hang out with you seven days a week. Yeah. And it, I mean, you learn to rely on people and communicate with people. And it's, I mean, it's excellent life skills, but it's just so much of it is like a passion. Mm -hmm. Like I could read a hundred books about plants and that's strange. And like, I really like our customers. I really like my employees. And it just, it all is, the whole package is worth it. It's not one individual thing. Like, I'm sure I could go somewhere else and really like my job. But the, like, stress and dysfunction is part of what makes it so much fun. I mean, you, you don't have, I don't think there's anything comparable to this that's left. I mean, a lot of trades and things that have to do with your hands, you watch it grow and then you harvest it. It's just a different kind of life. We appreciate you listening and would love to hear what you think of the show. 
Your reviews help the show get found, so please go to iTunes or Stitcher right now and leave us a review. Small Biz Stories is brought to you by Constant Contact. Constant Contact is committed to helping small businesses and nonprofits connect with new and existing customers with email marketing. You can be a marketer. All it takes is Constant Contact. Find out more at ConstantContact.com.